Hey, uh, good morning. I'm DJ. I'm the youth pastor here. And uh, Pastor Bruce, our senior pastor, is out doing some missions work. He'll be back next week. So I get to continue his message from last week on James chapter 5. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, James chapter 5. This is our second to last message, I believe, in our series on James. And uh, it's been pretty incredible. This is my first time teaching it to you. And so if you missed a week of it or if you missed the beginning of it, maybe especially you don't know that the author of James is the half-brother of Jesus. So this is, uh, I don't think it's officially nepotism that this ended up in the Bible. Uh, you know, we, we do believe that it's still the inspired word of God. But I just wonder sometimes what it must have taken for the half-brother of Jesus to believe that he, my brother doesn't believe that I should be a pastor. So <laughs> I wouldn't, like, the half-brother of Jesus is so convinced that Jesus is who he said he was, that not only would he write a book to encourage the believers in the church, but he would actually eventually die, lose his life, proclaiming the name of Jesus. He would be stoned to death, defending the fact that his half-brother is the son of God. And I think that that's just a little piece of information I'll put into context of passages that I'm going to read for you today because he's going to talk about suffering and he's going to talk about how to suffer well and he's going to talk about what the church should look like in the midst of suffering. And I think that if on your resume you get stoned to death for believing in Jesus, then you get to have your say in how to suffer well for the sake of his name. So I, I just think that that's, none of us have been stoned to death, I don't think, uh, for believing in Jesus. Uh, if you have, ushers take the body out of the worship center. <laughs> But uh, James chapter 5, starting in verse 7, says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who uh, were blessed as they remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is a message about patience in hard times, and uh, it's ridiculous that I'm preaching it to you. And I don't, it would be hard to find someone in the church who's really qualified on a character level to preach about patience, but I feel like for sure you don't ask the millennial um, who is, <laughs> my generation has been instrumental in uh, forging fewer and fewer reasons to develop patience as people. It's kind of been our whole mission statement uh, in technology development. I was just talking in the back about uh, the difference in phones from six years ago to now and just kind of internet in general. Pastor Jim and I were talking about the coming of 5G on Thursday and how people will complain in 20 years um, if it takes a second and a half to download a movie. And... Uh, I'm just old enough to remember having to sign off of AOL because my mom wanted to make a phone call, just to, right? <laughs> and so I'm going to give a message on patience, but I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about micro-patience. I don't want to talk about 
how to trust in the Lord when the line at the DMV is too long. I don't want to talk about that. Just deal with it. You live in California. All right. Point number one, did we get deal? No, that's not on there. Deal with it. Just, that's micropatience. That's just, we all have to do that, right? We all have to do that. I want to talk about a patience that lasts in the suffering. I want to talk about a patience that's a little bit heavier than traffic. James is giving a message to people who he introduced in the first couple verses of his letter as Christians, Jewish believers, who were scattered because of suffering. He was trying to reach people who had been dispersed because they were being hunted for their faith. The context of James is so different from our context because we're just not experiencing that. We're just not going through that kind of trial and suffering like some Christians around the world are today. We're just not. That's not our context. But I think that suffering is so transferable in its principles that we can take what he gives to us, despite our context being a little bit different, our culture still creates opportunities for us to suffer. And so God's word is gonna teach us how to suffer well. And maybe there's gonna come a day when we have to learn how to suffer like the people that James was writing to. And maybe that's how God wants to purify his church. Maybe that's how he wants to strengthen us. But no matter what, some of you limped in here today, some of you skipped in here today, but no matter what, eventually you're gonna need this text And so even though the context is a little bit different, I think if we just listen to a message on patience from someone who needs to work on it himself, we're going to be able to use it eventually. So in James chapter 5, verse 7, he starts it off with a command, following up from the message that Pastor Bruce gave last week about suffering under the hand of the rich. James says, your response to that, therefore, is to be patient until the coming of the Lord. That's an encouraging and a discouraging commandment right away. Out of the gate from James, I just feel like be patient until the coming of the Lord could kind of be like, but when though? Like, do you have a a date for me though, James? Like, could you ask your brother when he's thinking about coming back? Because (laughs) he wrote the letter 2,000 years ago. This is not a recent letter. He wrote it 2,000 years ago, and he's telling people 2,000 years ago who worshiped the same God that we just worshiped, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And they probably read it the same way that we read it. They're like, we know that it's going to get really bad before Jesus comes back and people are being killed left and right for believing. I have to imagine it'll be soon. He won't wait too long, right? That generation passed. The next generation passed. Then, right? And, and 2,000 years later, We're in church worshiping that same God who told us, be patient until Jesus comes back. And now it's almost 2020, and we're like, okay, I can do that, but do you know that it's pretty bad out there? Like we're trying to tell God what the world is like. And he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. Like a farmer waits for his harvest to take root, you too be patient because Jesus told us he's going to come back and no promise from the Lord has ever gone unfulfilled, this one included. In fact, the moment that he comes back will be the moment that every promise has been fulfilled. And the whole point of this passage and really kind of the whole point of the grand narratives of scripture is to understand that this is the hope of the Christian. This is the ultimate thing that we're kind of resting on moment to moment this hope that at any second, midway through this message, it's possible that Jesus will come back. And if your hope is resting on something else, if your hope is resting on something temporary, then it's going to be a temporary hope 
that you're settled on. But James says what everyone else in the New Testament says, let your hope rest on the fact that Jesus is coming back. Let your actions rest on the fact that Jesus is coming back. Don't be caught unaware. Don't be caught unsuspecting. Don't be caught with your hand in the cookie jar when Jesus comes back because he said, I'm going to come like a thief at the night and I need my church to be ready for me. Are you anticipating the return of Jesus like it is the hope and expectation of your Christian life? The pinnacle thing that you're waiting for is the return of Jesus Christ. There is no greater hope. There is no better thing that we're waiting for than be patient. He's coming. It's going to be worth it. Everything, this is why Paul says in Romans 8, he was kind of hoping on the same thing. And so when he said, I do not consider the sufferings of this world to be worthy to compare to the glory that awaits for us in eternity, this is the kind of hope and patience that Paul writes about in Romans 8. And it's the same thing James says. We do not need a trite, temporary, soft encouragement to just endure without hope the difficulties of the world. There is a point to all of it, and the point will be fulfilled at the return of our Savior. And I just don't think that we do a very good job, and I'm including myself in it, just collectively. I don't know if we do an amazing job of keeping an eternal perspective when we think about things. As I prepared the message, I was wondering, um, are we more excited uh, for retirement, or are we more excited for the return of Jesus Christ? I'm a couple years off retirement myself. Um, (laughs) I'm working on it. But... For some of you that are a little bit closer for whatever reason, I won't say what, then I wonder it like when you wake up in the morning, what that's not a joke. When <laughs> and you're excited for something, I wonder what it is. I wonder, I don't personally, I'm not, I'm a pastor, but I'm not that pastor. I don't wake up and roll out of bed and be like, Jesus might come back today, Kristen. Like, she would be so annoyed if I did that every morning. <laughs> like but I just wonder if you're more excited for retirement, if you're more excited. And which one are you more prepared for, by the way? Like, you might have been working on a 401k for 35 years, but have you been working on your heart? Are you prepared for the return of Jesus Christ? I have an urgency to the message this morning because there's an urgency to the message that James gives us. He says, be patient because Jesus is coming back. That's either an encouragement or a warning. It just depends on where your heart's at. Be ready. Be ready, because he's going to come. It's a promise. It's a promise. And it's an encouraging promise, but he says be ready. I think that the idea that Jesus is coming back at any time should encourage us to worship in a different way, uh, to serve in a different way, to study in a different way, to share the gospel in a different way. It creates an urgency knowing that there is a timer on this. We don't know what it's set at. But there's a timer on this, and he says, be patient because Jesus is coming back. Be patient for the coming of the Lord, the suffering that you're under. Just wait. It's not permanent. And when it's not permanent, you know that you can endure. I used to do, um, does anyone know what P90X is? It's like this old workout program that was just meant to hurt people. And I used to do, uh, I used to do these plyometric workouts when I was in college with this other guy because we were goalkeepers for the uh, world-famous Moody Bible Institute soccer team. (laughs) And uh, so we would do this workout, and we'd be doing ridiculous, like, this is why I can't bend down and play with my kid now. We'd do these, like, jumping lunges and everything for 30 seconds at a time. And the guy always would go on the video. He would start doing this, what are you doing, kind of thing. And he'd go, you can do anything for 30 seconds. 
And I'd, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. You, you can't fly for 30 seconds unless it's a high enough mountain, right? Like, and then that's, then you don't have to wait for the coming of the Lord anymore. You can't do anything for 30. But the idea that he was getting at, the idea that he was getting at was that suffer for this 30 seconds because you know when it's going to be over and just get through it. My mom was in town from Minnesota this week and she was uh, in charge of, to her delight, watching our two-year-old son, Asher. And uh, she had so much fun with him and it was so fun to see her with him. But by the end of the week, she was a little bit, she was a little bit tired. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a little bit of energy. And so uh, she just completely gave 110% to it. And then when she left yesterday, I think she had aged about seven years. Um, but I, so I said, I comment when I dropped her off at the airport, I said, I bet you're going to sleep pretty well when you get home. She goes, yeah, but it was worth it. She gave it all because she knew that it was going to end. It was only a week and it was worth it. It's going to be worth it when he comes back. You know it's going to end, so work. Share that gospel to the person that you sit next to every day who knows you go to church but they don't really know what it means. You know he's coming. You know there's going to be a moment when it ends. You know that there's a timer on this. Live your life like it. Wait patiently for the coming of the Lord. He's coming back for you. It's coming. That's the first encouragement that James has for people that are under the weight and oppression of suffering is that Jesus is coming back. Just like the farmer is going to wait. Just, I mean... I'll get off this eventually, but I'm just, my heart is so stirred by just this eternal perspective. Think about the moment, the first time that we all get to be uh, before the throne of God in heaven, worshiping in his presence together. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I already know the set list. Because Revelation tells us that when the angels stand in front of God, the only thing that they can do is press their face into the ground and scream out holy. That's about all they can get out of their mouth in the presence of God. And so they already wrote the song. We're just going to go up and learn the words. They wrote it down for us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There you go. You're, not, you're prepared for the worship set in heaven right now. I don't know the tune. They haven't told it to me. But that's... That's the set, because in the presence of God, they know that that's the glory that we've been looking forward to, and the angels sing holy, and that's all we do too. So as we wait, will we worship like that here? Holy, 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 he's coming back. He's holy, he's good. It should change our worship. It should change our hearts. It should change the way we think. It should change pretty much everything. And I just want to see a church so impacted by the fact that this is temporary that we'll live like this is temporary and that's permanent and let's go get people into this so that they can sing holy with us. Be patient for the coming of the Lord is upon us. He's coming. Number two, um, James tells us that when we suffer, we should endure faithfully. He says in verse eight, you also be patient Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Here's something really practical. Verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord 
how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I read the passage and I thought, if James is going to use Job as a positive example of suffering, then I feel like we're really in varsity mode. Like, we're talking about, like, dead serious suffering. Like, again, he's not, like, consider the guy who had to wait an extra three and a half minutes at Starbucks. He's like, here's how you suffer well. Hey, do you remember Job? And people who know the story are laughing. If you don't know the story, please laugh with us because I'm going to tell it to you. Job is a book in the Old Testament and tells a story of a man who was walking with the Lord faithfully and the tempter, Satan, walked up to God. This is a crazy story, um, but I didn't write it, so I'll just tell it to you. Satan walks up to God and he says, hey, have you considered your servant Job? He seems pretty into you, but I wonder if he would worship you the same way if everything in his life fell apart. And God said, I bet you he would, and since I created him, I'll give you permission to go ahead and take everything that he has and let's see what happens. And so every, everything falls through for Job. He kills his family. He takes his servants. He takes his property. He takes his health. And Job's really given every opportunity that he has to curse the name of God because who, I mean, who among us, we, we stub our toe and we're like, God, why have you wrought this upon me? What, right? We're trying to remember the unconfessed sin from when we were eight years old because our, we almost ran out of gas, right? It's like, we don't respond, and Job, everything falls through, and he says, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I think it's one thing really impressive for Job that in isolation, in the midst of suffering, that he's able to hold on to the character of God like that, but I think it's even more impressive that he's surrounded by a community that refuses to be helpful, and he still holds on to the fact that God is good, because in the story of Job, uh, his wife is not the most helpful character in the story. In fact, she's painted in a pretty negative light. Um, to be fair, she lost everything too. But he's surrounded by these knucklehead friends who are constantly trying to just give him permission uh, to be upset, basically. And, and in an unbiblical way, they're just trying to push him toward kind of self-pity and remorse. And to the best that he can, he refuses their advances. But in the midst of all of that kind of bad influence, Job holds on as best he can to blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's the example that James gives us to suffer well. So when he says, be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I really love that particular verse. And I think as few Instagram verses as last week's passage has, this one has a few more. To establish your heart on the Lord just means to set firmly the direction of your heart, that no matter what happens, I will serve the Lord. To set your heart paints a picture of an anchor so that no matter what wind and waves come, like we just sang about, I know that my eyes will fix on the Lord. Just like if, if Peter had kept looking at Jesus when he jumped out of the boat and walked on water and not paid attention to the waves, he would have stayed above board. But it was when he looked away that he fell under. Now the blessing was that Jesus' hand was there to pull him through anyway. But wouldn't it be an amazing story and paint Peter in a much better light if he had just walked all the way out there? That's not what happened because that's never what happened for Peter until after Acts chapter 2. But to establish your heart on the coming of the Lord is just to set my heart on the expectation that no matter what happens, I will not be moved. I will not be shaken. I know that he's coming and I'm going to hold on. And I'm not going to react negatively when things get hard. I'm not going to take it out on the people around me. And that must have been happening a little bit because in verse 9, James warns them, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
James had the social awareness to understand that sometimes when things get hard, you take it out on the people that you're closest to. And I think that's, that's a really, really weighty command, and it's really, really important that we get that. Because while suffering is mandatory for the Christian, friendly fire is not. It is not required of us to be fighting battles within our own lines just because things are hard out there. And James's command is do not grumble. We don't leave it at grumbling most of the time. I feel like grumbling is just like, I'm, well, I don't really like the way that you, right? It's, it's just kind of this under the breath, talking behind backs maybe. We'll pull katanas out and go right at each other's throats sometimes just because things get a little bit off. It's the kids on the road trip. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I had three siblings, and we, my mom drove this purple Dodge minivan when we were kids. She still talks about it like it's the best vehicle ever made, <laughs> even though it's not. And my, for whatever, so my little sister, and this is, this is not a slight, and she'll never <laughs> listen to this message, so don't tell her, but that she's objectively the worst. Um, <laughs> she just was. I'm just telling you a fact. She was, she was an instigator. Uh, I was always completely innocent, and it was always her. It was always her. So she would sit in the front, like in, you know, the middle of the, of the van, and then for some reason, so there's this open seat next to her, but she was such a troublemaker that she was like in isolation, like locked down. You're only in the middle so that you can't even reach anyone that you're trying to drive insane. The problem that that created was that me and my other two siblings, the, the three oldest, like what a backwards socialist. Anyway, we would be stuck in the back three seats on the bench, which was, we, we could probably last comfortably in that social environment for about three and a half minutes before it became Lord of the Flies back there. Because Sarah, my sister, would usually sit in the middle and then me and my brother would flank her. And what that gave us the opportunity to do was to form an unspoken alliance to try to drive Sarah absolutely insane for the entire duration of no matter where we were going to. And so even if it was an 11-minute trip to Walmart, we could have her pretty close to the end of her rope by the end of that 11 minutes. <laughs> On the longer days when we drove 45 minutes to somewhere, we were really risking our lives for the sake of our commitment to bothering her. And so it became just this, this, we were suffering in the car, in the purple Dodge minivan, and we started to turn on one another because, you know, back then we didn't really have a lot of ways to occupy ourselves. And so our entertainment was either look out the window or drive our siblings insane. The choice was obvious. We took it. Um, <laughs> James says, for the church, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged we knew the risk when we would pick on our siblings in the van. We would be judged for it. As soon as we got out of the car, my dad had that look on his face. We knew that we had crossed the line about five minutes into a 40-minute trip, and we were going to pay for it. Was it worth it? Yes, it was. <laughs> the, difference is, the difference is when the judge stands at the door for the Christian who grumbles against the other Christian, it is not a temporary judgment. The father stands at the door watching the church pick itself apart from the inside and says, wait, I established that church to glorify my name, not to drag it through the mud with your petty arguments. Stop grumbling against one another just because things are hard right now. You need one another. Stop that. It's a really serious command. 
to not pick ourselves out from the inside just because of a disagreement or just because of a challenge or just because things are a little bit uphill right now. And the example that he gives us is the prophets. And I think the reason that he does that, he says in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I feel like James is just trying to tell us, you're not the first ones to go through hard things for the sake of the name of God. I mean, read the whole Old Testament and you just see people going through the absolute worst, hardest things possible. I told some of my students hadn't read the book of Hosea that I was talking to, I think last Sunday. And if you're familiar with the book of Hosea, it's a shocking story. And uh, they didn't know about it. So when I told them that God told his prophet to marry a prostitute to create an image of how his people were treating their worship to him, their jaws hung open. They're like, that's in, that's in the Bible, like the same one that I own? They're like, yeah, read your Old Testament. You would know it's in there. <laughs> the judge is standing at the door. But as the prophets suffered for the sake of of the name of the God that they worshiped, they held on. The people dragging the prophets through the mud were usually God's own people because they were saying things that the people of Israel weren't prepared to hear because it was pushing against the grain of what their hearts and bodies desired. They were preaching holiness when the people of Israel's lives were preaching sin. And so what started to happen was that the people would turn on the prophet of God. The church in general, as predicted in the New Testament, will continually turn on faithful preaching that exposes sin and pushes people back toward the holiness of God. What's important is that God's true church does not turn on that idea just because it makes us uncomfortable. Do not grumble against one another. Isn't just talking about internal conflict because when he brings up the prophets, he's trying to say, look at the way they suffered and they were just being faithful. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, blessed are those who suffer for the sake of righteousness. Now I think we'll put a badge of courage on ourselves for suffering for things that we create our own problems ourselves sometimes. Like uh, we start an altercation with someone and then we go home and tell our wives, like man, I can't believe they would treat me like that. And if your wife is faithful like mine, she'll be like, yeah, but didn't you kind of start it? That's not important right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to get wisdom from you right now. I'm just trying to complain, stop. Stop being so godly. The, uh, he says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. He just told us to be patient, and now he's talking about steadfastness. This is what it means to endure faithfully. He started the book with this because he knows he's talking to a group of suffering Christians who need to hear it. We already talked about trials and suffering in the series on James, but he just has to go back to it because it's so important for the Christian to suffer well because what an amazing testimony it is for someone who's going through a particularly hard time based on circumstances that they did not create for themselves, but they're just being put under the weight of the suffering. And now instead of reacting with, woe is me, look at how hard this has been for me, look at the suffering that I, now we respond with, yeah, but my God is so good. This has been really hard. In fact, I would say it's impossible, but I worship a God who specializes in the impossible. Let me tell you about him. Do you see the testimony that suffering is supposed to create for the Christian? Just like the prophets, just like Job. It's hard, it's heavy. But James says, listen, 
in the same way that they suffered, you should suffer like them. And this is James. I mean, this is, this is a guy who, for a large part of his life, rejected the notion that Jesus was even the Savior of the world. I think we have to begin to understand the frame that he was seeing things through. The biggest thing that changed the mind of James is, listen, your brother could say whoever, whatever he wants about whoever he is, but if you watch him die and then you have breakfast with him three days later, it's going to change your opinion on who he is. The biggest thing that shifted James' paradigm was the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And I think that this is what's supposed to get in the head of the church when we think about the way that we think about suffering. The difference is Jesus suffered and then he beat it. Jesus suffered to an extent that we have not suffered because, again, we're all sitting in this service alive. And yet he was up on the third day and they worshiped him because of it. And now we see a guy writing a letter to Christians who are suffering for the sake of that name. And he's saying, listen, 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 don't turn on one another. Worship him instead like the prophets did. This is the Christians in the book of Acts who were dragged in unjustly to trial. And they were told, stop preaching about Jesus or we'll kill you. And they said, we're not going to do anything right now in Acts chapter 5, but if you do it again, we're going to come find you. And then just as a good measure of warning, they beat them and they released them back out on the streets. And it says in Acts chapter 5 that they left rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. That was the attitude of the early Christians towards suffering. Wasn't woe is me, but it's thank you God that I'm worthy to suffer on behalf of your name. so different than how we think. And it's a different level from which we suffer. But the Christian is called to endure faithfully because endurance is maybe one of the most important principles of the Christian faith. Because we've been given a promise that he's coming back, just like he said, be patient, Jesus is coming back. But then we've also been given a promise that he'll give us the power to endure while we wait. You think the prophets ever just wanted it to be over? You think Job ever just wanted, like, you're going to take all that, why not just take me too? I bet that crossed his mind. But God said, I've got a bigger picture to paint than that. You're not the center of the story. Just wait, see what happens. Look to Jesus. And that's what James says too. So if you limped in here this morning because you're going through a really hard time, I would just try to take yourself out of the center of the picture and see the image that God is creating What kind of testimony are you creating by your suffering? I know there are situations going on with the parents of this church that are so difficult that you wake up feeling completely lost and hopeless. I don't know how to steer my kid in the right direction. I can relate to that because the same siblings that I was just joking with you about, none of them are walking with the Lord, and one of them won't even talk to us anymore. And my mom, who got saved when I was in college, is blaming herself for the upbringing of our kids because she thinks that if she had just done something a little bit differently, then they all would have been saved. And uh, like she is the redeemer of her kids and not Jesus Christ. I know that you're blaming yourself for stuff that you don't have to take the responsibility for. I know you are. I know that you're creating suffering that doesn't exist because of the responsibility to be God that God wants to have in your life. James says don't do that. Because that's not how the prophets suffered. Imagine how much worse it would have been for someone like Job or Jeremiah or Isaiah if when they suffered they thought it was because of something that they had to fix. And they were just being faithful. 
you make a terrible God. <laughs> and I just think that part of the, the way that we'll endure faithfully as Christians is to keep God on his throne and to keep us in our rightful place. He says be patient because Jesus is coming back. He doesn't say that we'll get to take his spot when he does. When we're in heaven, uh, none of us are getting promoted to the stage. They've got enough worship leaders up there. We'll just be worshiping. Because that's not our role. And our role here is to suffer well, to endure faithfully, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, to love him, and to trust that he works all things together for his good. And if you think that he can't take your situation and make something amazing out of it, then you just haven't read the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And uh, it's a long story, so I won't tell you the whole thing, but basically it tells the story of a young man who was cast aside by his brothers who wanted to kill him, sold into slavery, put in jail, basically sold into working slavery again, all with the promise from the Lord years and years and years before that the Lord would make something out of his life. The picture was not clear. The end goal was not defined, and yet the promise existed, and so he continued to serve faithfully no matter what his situation was. Eventually, God elevated him to a position of power to save his people, and it was from there that God began an amazing work of leading his people into the land that they were promised years and years and years and years before Joseph was even born. And I feel like if God can take his story from thousands of years ago and create a picture of suffering and endurance and the bigger picture that he's creating in the lives of those who suffer and just show it to us in the book of Genesis, then maybe we can hold on for a few more months, for a few more years. Because Joseph held on to the promise that God gave him and he didn't even see Jesus resurrected. He didn't even know the power that God would bring to the earth to equip believers with the Holy Spirit to have the faith to endure in the first place. Endure faithfully. Be patient. Endure faithfully. And the last one feels uh, tagged on almost. Um, in verse 12, James says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And at first, it's hard to see how this connects, but I think what James is trying to do is just give us another principle on how to live well together. It was actually required in the Levitical law, which is from the first five books of the New Testament, that when you made an oath, that you would bind it with the name of God to give it a certain amount of weight. Now, when Jesus came in the New Testament, he came to fulfill the law. And so something that he taught in the Sermon on the Mount was this very thing. Stop making oaths by the name of God and just simply say yes or no to people because I've come to fulfill that law. You're no longer held under it. You're free from that. Just give people your word and let that be it. And so James is reiterating that kind of as a community principle of, listen, let's just, let's just simply serve. Let's, just, let's commit consistently to serving one another in an open and honest way. If you can help someone, help them. If you can't, just let them know. But stop trying to dress things up with spiritual excuses when you can't serve someone in the church because you're going through a hard time too, isn't it better just to be honest and say, no, I, I can't help you with that. I need some help myself. Just let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. 
He's just giving something real practical. It's a very practical book. And he's just saying, if you can just commit consistently to one another without all of the spiritual language of O's and I swear in the name of Jesus that I'll help you move on Saturday the 7th, right? It's just like, just, no, I can't. Yes, I can. That's very simple. And I think that that's just a very practical application for us to just be people of our word. Because again, we're gonna suffer enough without dragging each other through the mud in the church too. And I think that God wants to see every church become a place where people are just people of their words and we can trust one another and we can be faithful to his word above ours. So that's all I have for you this morning. I, I hope that, um, I hope that the, the concept of enduring faithfully will stick in your heart. And I pray that maybe just like it did for me this week, the message, the text will inspire you to have some level of urgency to the fact that Jesus could come back at any moment I just wonder if we're ready. If you don't know him, this is it. (laughs) I I mean, really, this is the morning. The Jesus that I'm talking about is the same one that went to the cross for you. You should give your life to him. That's That's a very simple but bold response to the work that he did is to give your life to him. I don't want anyone to walk out this door unsure of what happens that moment that he does come back. So... Please talk to someone this morning about it. If you aren't sure that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, or if you're just in the midst of a really dark time of suffering, um, we'll have people over here to pray for you. Um, Again, if you're new this morning, join us back at that hello table just to say hi. We want to see this church come together over and over and over in the hard times and the good times to lift high the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I'll, I'll pray and we'll be done. God, thank you for the suffering that you endured on the cross so that we might have life and have it abundantly in you. There's no easy out from this. But I just pray that we'll be faithful. I pray that your people would keep their eyes fixed on you, that you would give us some perspective on the suffering that we face. We wouldn't be tired of just continually going to you over and over and over, God who cares so much about us loves us in a way that we couldn't imagine. We lift our eyes and our hands to you for help this morning, God, and we know that you'll be available, present, and faithful, as you always are. Thank you for who you are, God, and we lift you high this morning in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys.